Hey, Chris. Hey, Sam. How's it going? Doing well. Doing well. Yeah. It's been uh, about a week and a half since we last talked, so I'm really interested to get in here, and I know you have a lot on your plate, so I'm excited to hear your new updates, and yeah, I'm excited for this one. Yeah. Holy cow, I do have a lot, but let's start with what's going on in your world. You said you had a busy week, too, when we were chatting off air. Yeah, it was kind of a weird week. You know, I had I had a, a handful of non-work-related appointments. My wife had a handful of appointments. And so when she's out of the house, that means I'm watching the toddler. So there was some some good family time. But it was just, you take a week like that and it was just completely broken up. And then on top of that, the other business that I'm involved with, which is my family business, had a big strategic decision that they they needed some help with. So I kind of dove into that. I'm not involved with the day-to-day stuff there anymore. I'm just give you a little background. It's a it's an optical store uh, that my mom and I founded about 15 years ago. So we sell glasses, contact lenses, that type of thing. And like I said, I'm not involved with the day-to-day stuff anymore, but I'm definitely there for kind of big level strategic decisions. And one of those kind of hit our plate last week. And so that, that chewed up a lot of my time. So it was just kind of a weird week. And I had very little time for text retailer, probably wrote, I don't know, maybe a dozen lines of code tops. And so it was just it was one of those weeks where there was a ton going on. A lot got done, but didn't feel like it. There wasn't actual progress. It didn't seem like, but it was, like I said, it was just a weird week. And so now I'm back into it. It's Tuesday now. And I think I was more productive code-wise yesterday than the entire last week combined. So it was, like I said, weird week, but, but back into the swing of things. How about yourself? Yeah, lots of family things as well. You know, last week, my wife and kids got back. They were out in South Carolina visiting her family. So that was fun for them. But I stayed home, had a giant to-do list that I was hoping to get done. You know, everything from work, work and more work to attempting to finish the kitchen table I've been building for a long time. Spoiler alert, I didn't get as much work done as I planned, and the kitchen table's still not done. But (laughs) that's okay. Family's back in town. It's great to be hanging out with them. My oldest just started first grade, so as he calls it, he's a grader now. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's a big deal. It is. Yeah. Yeah, and the smoke is clearing here in Bozeman. We talked about the smoke last time. Yep. So we've been out on a few hikes, a little hints of fall, at least up until yesterday when it was like 90 degrees. And I don't know. I'm excited. Feels like feels like a new season here, both actually and and business-wise. Lots lots to do. Absolutely. Well, I mean, when the kids start going back to school, that just kind of changes up the entire what your day looks like and the and the and just everything. I mean, it just kind of restructures the whole family life. So I'm sure that's a big change. It's a good thing, though. Everybody is ready for a routine. You know, I think we all do well with that and kids especially. Our youngest still has uh, two weeks until his preschool starts up, but that will be here soon enough. Yeah. Now, talking about preschool, we we just had our open house preschool. So our our daughter can't go until uh, she actually turns three, which will be uh, later this year. So we did the the open house and kind of met all the other parents and the teachers. And it's going to be it's going to be a big change. My, my, my wife needs some time to adjust to that. So the kids growing up quick. So uh, yeah, but it's good. It's, We're excited about it. It's hard, but it's good. Yep. You're yep. still, you're still in the thick of it though. Absolutely. Oh, very much so. Yeah. No, it, it, kind of going back to this last week, it was great because, you know, we had, 
couple of mornings I get to spend spend time with her and just you know it's it's fun to put down the keyboard and you know <laughs> start start doing toddler stuff it it was fun so it's a good time good pick the keyboard back up tell me what's going on business yeah wise. so a uh, few things I want to chat about we got our first cancellation you know so we started a uh, text retailer started building it late last year opened it up to merchants I would say April time is when we first had our, our first paid subscriber and now we have our first cancellation so this wasn't this didn't come as a, as a huge surprise I mean we, we obviously have insights into what the merchants are doing and and the type of sales that they're getting and I actually talked to this merchant and they they went through an agency actually that found us and so between chatting with the merchant and the agency I don't think it was anything that that text retailer did I think the tool was good for them they just didn't have really the the marketing or the product infrastructure figured out you know and so they had they had a a good customer base a good subscriber base but the products that they were trying to sell their customers just weren't interested in at all. And so they were getting by far the lowest conversion rates that we saw across the platform. And so it was just clear that it just wasn't working out for what they were selling and who they were trying to sell it to. So the writing was on the wall. They, they gave notice and it's, it's all good. So got that first one out of the way. You know? <laughs> yeah. It's always painful, but it has to happen. When you, when you say they gave notice, do you have a contract they sign then and they have to give a specific amount of notice or how do you handle that? It's just month to month. Like we don't have a cancellation directly within the app. They have to email us. So they just emailed and said, Hey, we want to cancel the subscription. So we just handled it that way. But yeah, we, do, we don't have any long term, long term contracts or anything like that. We're, that's something that we're exploring. If we want to do like an annual, annual subscription or kind of long term commitments, we're open to that. But, but as of right now, it's, they're all month to month standard okay. subscriptions. Interesting. Yeah. We're, we're a little bit in that boat as well. I mean, we, we are month to month, but we require 60 days to cancel. Luckily, we have not had our first cancellation yet, but maybe that's because we don't have many people past the onboarding phase. You know, I'm a big believer in not being very draconian. Like I I hate the whole, you have to call and then we're going to talk you out of it. And then we're going to hold you to the contract and say, sorry, buddy. So I think we, you know, frankly would let people out sooner if it were a big deal. But at the same time, having that 60 day buffer in a contract for our more enterprise type customers in particular is, is an important safety net. Yeah. I was just going to say, I mean, that's a, that's a huge, that's kind of the challenge that you have and a benefit is just the nature of what you're providing is so integral to how they do things that it might be tough to get them hooked and onto the platform. But once you do, man, the, the switching costs for them are super high. And so that's right. I would expect your turn to be pretty, pretty low in general, but when they churn, it's going to hurt because those are big, big, big customers. Yeah. It's, I, I don't know what the pattern's going to be like. It will be very interesting. The other thing we have going for us, there's a decent amount of upfront work that has to happen to get these people on board, you know, to build out the infrastructure and the integrations that they need. And we charge for that, you know, so they're paying thousands of dollars up front just to get started on the platform. So I suspect we're not going to see major churn in the beginning and it'll be more at the, you know, one, two, three year mark that that starts. But anyway, the first one always hurts. So ripped that mandate off. Yeah, we did. We did. But you know, and, and, and frankly, at this point, it's all about that data. And so the more, I don't mind this one because 
now we can kind of use that as that's the that's a profile that we're seeing. So if we see other merchants that are kind of repeating that same pattern or showing the same numbers, then we can kind of put them in a category of high likelihood to churn. And so it, it just gives us some more information, more data, good or bad at this point. I, I want it all. <laughs> I just want to learn how these merchants are using the platform and, and what works for them. I love that attitude for sure. Yeah. No, I say that now, but you know... <laughs> Who knows down the line, you definitely want to keep your churn low, which it, which it is. But as it, as it creeps up, then I might be changing that tune a little bit. So churn low, but on the data side, I always like I heard this somewhere, don't remember where, but all data is good data. And whenever I find myself getting a little bit afraid of gathering data, whether it's through a hard conversation with a customer who's not as active as I'd like or anything else, it's like all data is good data. You know, you need that to be able to make good decisions, especially this early on. That's the big thing. We're still in that learning phase, and I agree with that wholeheartedly. So the other big thing that happened is we've been kind of pursuing a strategy when it comes to Shopify. So one of the one of the big things that I really want to do moving forward is we we kind of have version one of Text Retailer figured out. So as a merchant, you can run your entire you know, shop by text program using our platform. But as we know, there's a lot of merchants out there that are using things like a Shopify or Big Commerce or some other e-commerce platform to run their stores. And, and some of our customers don't use anything. They're, they're, they're solely using text retailer. And that's the only way that they sell. But there's definitely a lot of merchants that have an online presence and wanting to go after that is, is a big decision point. So looking at Shopify is obviously the, the 800 pound gorilla. You know, I think there's over a million merchants now that are using Shopify. So a huge distribution channel, especially with their app store. So that's something that I've been kind of eyeing for a long time. I wanted to get a solid foundation for the product before kind of going after that little bit of disappointment applied for the app store with our current concept. And one of the things that Shopify does not like to give up is control over the checkout process. And so they have a way that what they call sales channels can actually process payments outside of shop that Shopify checkout experience and sync orders in. But unfortunately, that's that's geared more for like TikTok's Facebook marketplace type of entities. Not quite okay. What. So you're probably like year or two out from that. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Six months tops, and we'll be at that okay. that same level. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, they they kind of took one look at our application and like, no, this isn't quite right. So basically, what they're they're offering is we can do the concept, but the checkout process has to exist on a Shopify checkout, which is web based. So obviously, our whole concept of completing a full purchase through text messages and only text messages in the text message thread doesn't fly for Shopify for whatever reason, or they have their reasons, but yeah, it seems pretty clear why they might be hesitant to allow that. It, it, it kind of opens up a Pandora's box, but there's, I think there's a lot of, I mean, text messages aren't going away and I'm, 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 I'm obviously arguing for, for something that I want that they didn't, they didn't see, but, but ultimately what it comes down to is there's a path forward. I, I still see a way that we can take something like a text retailer and kind of tweak the experience to go after that that Shopify app store. Because I think the distribution there, or the opportunity for a distribution, again, those million merchants, I think there's something there. So that's something that I've been kind of doing a lot of strategy work around, kind of diving deep into the API, seeing kind of kind of scoping out what that what that kind of derivative product might look like. It'd be text retailer, 
but it wouldn't be text retailer. So it's kind of a, a spin-off product in a way or a modified version of text retailer specifically for Shopify. So just kind of thinking through that, there's a lot of other strategy work that's coming up and I'm scoping up those other major features. One of the big ones that's being asked for with current merchants uh, is a reward and referral system. So they want a way to kind of incentivize their current subscribers and customers to add more subscribers and kind of do a referral system. So I'm kind of scoping that out. And I have a super secret integration that I'm working on with a Fortune 500 company. Can't get into the details there, but scoping out. Exactly. Yeah. So it's a lot of of planning, a lot of strategy work, not much actual coding at this point. So that's, that's been kind of what's on my mind as of recently. And and a lot of this just kind of it feels like an inflection point a little bit for the direction that I want to go as a company. You know, do we, do we completely avoid Shopify and kind of keep the the product quote unquote pure with the original vision? Do we pivot and kind of offer a different version of the product specifically for Shopify to kind of unlock that distribution? And so it's just a lot of, a lot of things kind of floating around, kind of figuring out what that roadmap looks like, reshuffling that roadmap. And uh, it's an interesting time. <laughs> Yeah, it does sound like a bit of an inflection point. Definitely trying to nail down that positioning before you pour gas on the marketing funnel. Funnel? Fire? Yeah, exactly. Well, and and I've always been a big fan of integrations as a marketing tool because it does it does so much for you. Not only does it it does it impact the value of the product, but it also kind of unlocks these other other marketplaces, especially if they have an app store. If nothing else, it can get you into potential for blog posts and SEO and things like that. It seems like it's a win-win to do deeper integrations with different platforms, especially one that's as big and as powerful as a Shopify for, for the, the merchants that we're going after. Yeah. And frankly, is integral to your merchant's business, right? I mean, whether it's Shopify or big commerce or somebody else, it's safe to say that for most of your merchants, that's going to be their major partner. And you, what you can do is add to that and, and be a huge sales channel. But ultimately, the relationship with a Shopify is probably more critical to them. A hundred percent, you know, because and that that's something that I learned very early on when talking to merchants, especially potential merchants, where they love the concept. They understood how quickly and easily they can sell products to their customers based upon by selling through text messages. They understand the value instantly. But they're in a different world where they're like, okay, now we sell all this stuff. How do we fulfill it? And so the idea of monitoring two different systems with two different fulfillment paths and all the integrations that they might have already within Shopify to help them fulfill those products, that's just something that they they just realistically can't separate. And so that's always been a number one is we can sell through you. We loved the idea of selling through text, but these orders have to end up just like an online order in Shopify or in big commerce or wherever, wherever we're doing our fulfillment, because that's just what we need for our, for fulfillment process. So that was, a, that was a really early on learning that integrations are going to be big, especially with these, these different e-commerce platforms. It's so interesting to see these parallels because in our business, it is the same way we have completely leaned into integrations. And in fact, I've alluded to the fact that our onboarding process is really, really long. And that's because we've set ourselves up to say, we do not want to be the source of truth for your asset data. And what that means in, in practicality is that you know all of these municipalities ultimately own the assets that they are inspecting or that their contractors are inspecting. But the whole point is that this maps to physical reality. There is an asset 
in the ground that needs to be inspected. And that data is typically what's called geospatial data, not to totally nerd out, but it's it's data that includes physical attributes about these things, and they don't change often, right? So typically, that information is stored in a platform called Esri. I mean, they are the thousand pound gorilla. You know, they are a GIS system and everybody uses them. And so what we've said is, okay, we want to partner with you and we want to actually integrate as tightly as we can to your Esri system. Let that be where all your asset data lives. And we're going to serve as a hub to basically serve your inspection data to you through Esri or through a number one of these other giant systems that you use to manage an entire city, really. So we're really leaning into that and saying that that's the way we think this should work. And that's different than what's typically happened in our industry, actually. In our world, a lot of times this inspection data, which includes data about the asset itself, as well as as well as time series data, basically the condition of the asset at that point in time is totally siloed and totally separate other than perhaps maybe a, hey, they share the same pipe ID. So yeah, we're saying, no, 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 let's let's bring these things together. And if you're in Esri, you're looking at a, an asset, you should be able to hop over and see your inspection and, and vice versa. If you're looking at an inspection, Let's jump over to a map and see see the data there. So, anyway, all that is to say, I feel you on the uh, on the integration side of things, and we're definitely also leaning hard into that as a as a selling point. Well, it's kind of funny because I consider Text Retailer at this point as version one kind of complete. There's definitely some features that we want to roll out, like the rewards and referral system that I was talking about. But at the at the most part, you can you can run your text you know shop by text program using Text Retailer but not if you're on Shopify as a merchant. To them, it's not even version one complete because we don't have that deep integration yet. And we've, we've done some beta testing with some, some merchants and kind of get the concept kind of worked out. And they, they, they definitely like that. That's interesting. So you kind of go with the Esri people and those that are using Esri, if you don't have that integration, you're not even in the running to talk to them, even though you might have a really upstanding product and so just by doing that integration, you unlock all of these new potential customers. But until you have that, you don't even have a version one for those customers, which is interesting. It's tough, but I think that's just the way these things way these things roll. And it's also a lot of opportunity. So yeah, along those lines, we are onboarding for our first customer who was supposed to actually start using the platform was postponed because of integration stuff. Luckily, nothing on our end. These things just take time. We do have two more customers in the pipeline. So that's great. So they are now starting the onboarding process. You know, onboarding we thought was probably a four-week process and I think it's turning out to be more six to eight week process. Yeah. So it's a it is it is long, but it's okay. Contracts have been signed. People are excited. Feedback continues to be positive and they are interacting with the product. They're just not using it in their day-to-day world. The other exciting thing about these two municipalities is they're smaller than I thought our target market would be. Yeah, we have not lowered our prices for them. You know, these are the prices because it requires a decent amount of of cost. And so, yeah, these are sub 10,000 population municipalities. And they're as psyched as the big guys to use it. Really? 
that sounds huge. If you can kind of get case studies together for that, I mean, because obviously there's a lot more of those communities than, <laughs> you know, million plus municipalities. And so that, that just seems like it unlocks a ton, but it's also scary because if you're, if that's your potential target market, then you are, that's a lot of onboarding <laughs> you got to go through <laughs> if, if that's who you're, who you're landing. Yeah. You're so right about that. I, you know, I, I couldn't help myself. I made the spreadsheet, which finding that population data was actually tougher than I thought. So I spent a couple hours trying to just grab, okay, all the municipalities under 10,000 or, you know, with 10,000 or more people. So total addressable market grew quite a bit versus what I thought it was super exciting. But, you know, we talked about hiring last time and I totally realize I'm the bottleneck and that this onboarding process is taking too long. So we brought on actually three new people. We're at a bit of an inflection point too. Wow. Three people. Yeah. That's a, that's a big step. I mean, that's <laughs> go to go to one from one person to four in a week. That's, that's a, that's a big adjustment. How's that been going? Yeah, I'm tired. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's been supporting them throughout normal working hours. And then, yeah. you know, early mornings, late nights, trying to catch up on the normal business stuff. So I knew it was going to be like this. It's it's going to be harder before it's easier. But yeah, we brought on a customer support or customer success person, we're calling it, which is going to really help with those onboardings and inbound inquiries as they come. So the far, that, so good. Is the goal that they completely take over the onboarding? Or are you still going to be involved in the onboarding process? at least at the beginning, or, or what does that look like, that transition? Yeah, here, here's how I see it going. Right now, I am involved in everything, onboarding as well as technical support, which those things are slightly separated, but pretty tightly coupled for now. I do have our customer success person shadowing me. So every single call I get, it's, a, hey, hold on one second. You know, we're, we're training somebody new. Do you mind if they join? And so that's been great. He's shadowing. I think I will eventually transition any of the inbound technical support calls you know to him and i define a technical support call as a specific issue you know a ticket something is happening i either have a, a specific question or i have a a problem so i i'm hoping in a couple of weeks actually he can start taking over that initial inbound and escalate as necessary the onboarding, I think, will take a little bit longer, but he's got the skill set, and and I'm hopeful that eventually he can lead both onboarding and and technical questions. And for the onboarding, those are those are customers that have signed a contract; they're committed. So it's not like there's much sales that are going on there. It's purely helping them get started with the, with the product, correct? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. There is a there is a pretty black and white line between you're a prospect and have not signed a contract with us versus you've signed a contract and now it's time for your onboarding. And we actually, we have a kickoff meeting, you know, we have a formalized agenda that we go through in that meeting, touching on all the integration points on their end, you know, there can be up to a dozen people in that meeting. So we're really kind of divvying up responsibility and, and, and that's why our onboarding process is so long because it, it really does take a lot, but the buy-in is there once we've once we've started that kickoff meeting. Yeah. I was just going to ask what that you mentioned. It was six to eight weeks for the onboarding. What's, what's the main holdup there is, are you waiting on things from the cities? Is it just, is it just a long process to make this transition or, or is there something that can be improved there? 
I'm sure there are some things we can do to improve, but really, it's just the nature of the beast. There are a lot of moving parts. Cities don't move very quickly, and we're touching so many different things that you know we need sign off and, and buy in from the proper people, and we need data. You know, I mentioned just as a great example, integrating with Esri. Well, that means we need Esri credentials basically to access that data, which usually goes through a separate approval process. Then we get approved, we get the data, and then usually the data is a bit of a mess. So we have a whole step of kind of massaging that data and making some recommendations around that. And then we layer on historical inspection data that they might have and the format that that's in and where it even resides. Believe it or not, despite the fact that we're moving everybody to the cloud, it's still generally most efficient for them to ship us a physical hard drive or multiple physical hard drives with terabytes of inspection data. Wow. And then you have to go through that. I mean, you you have to kind of normalize that data and get it into your system. That sounds like a ton of work. Yeah, that's that's one of the main things that we we do and kind of as we're building our moat, something we consider a competitive advantage. But you're right, it is a ton of work and we've had to build entire well, an entire suite of internal tools to deal with that. You know, the way it looks, we we get this data, we do, we have to analyze it all and it's terabytes of data. So we have to analyze it all, try to throw away some of the junk data of which there's usually plenty and then normalize it, which is like a big a big ETL process, you know, mapping certain fields to other fields and making sure it all works. And then at the end of that, getting sign off from the customer who says, okay, this looks good. You know, I'm, I'm happy with this data. So it's a process, but we're getting paid for it. And when I say customers aren't using us yet, you know, they are interacting with us on a daily and sometimes hourly basis. It's just, they're not using the, the software of the app. It's, yeah. it's almost like you have two offerings, which is, you know, the software itself, where they can't use that until they're up to speed. And then you have this service-based concept where not only are you training them a little bit on how to use the software, but you're like, you're just converting their data. And that's kind of a service offering that you have in order for them to unlock the software. But to me, that's a testament to the software and the potential that it has. If someone, if this, if these cities are willing to go through all of that pain in order to get to that software that says that there's either you're either selling them really good or you have something really good that they're, that they're looking forward to. And there's a ton of benefits for them to go through that, that switching cost. That's what I hope. That's the goal. And that's what seems to be proving itself true, but you know, small sample size still. So we'll see what happens. The other thing to think about is that these are our municipal customers We also have a whole opportunity with contractors who go out and do inspection work for these municipalities. And to them, the offering is a little bit simpler and the onboarding is practically non-existent. I mean, it's just go out and inspect these assets and we will show you how to do it faster. Got it. So that's that's a little bit more of training them on how to use the software, not necessarily. Are you pulling in legacy data for those contractors at all? No, we're really not. Some of the big ones who would fall into more of an enterprise bucket, we will. And that's actually, that's the only contractor customer we have right now. So we have been working with them on the legacy data side. But uh, once we spin up the marketing machine, we anticipate a lot of contractors who won't care at all about their legacy data 
or we'll care about it only in the standpoint of protecting it. So we're looking at an offering where we say, you can upload the data, it'll be in your data vault. And unless somebody comes back and says, hey, can you access this, which would be a customer support request, you don't need to touch it. Yeah. So I I think it'll be simple. It's just so interesting. I mean, we, and I'm sure we'll talk about this a lot more. You really do have two separate types of customers, the cities and the contractors. And that, that changes how you approach those two groups from the marketing, from the sales, from the onboarding, and I'm guessing even customer support requirements. And so it's just, even though they're using the same software, they're, they're on two sides of that same coin. Yeah, I don't think I quite appreciated how much that would prove to be the case when we started building out this product. You know, the thing of it is that the benefits are similar for both municipalities and contractors, but the order in which they rank those benefits as valuable is completely flipped. That's interesting. That's really interesting. So they both find value in the same categories, but the priorities are different and how they, yeah, they, I, they that's, that's cool. It is cool, but there's a reason why we don't have a uh, marketing site up yet. <laughs> <laughs> your, your vision of one message for everyone doesn't seem like it's going to gonna fly there. No, no, it's, it's just not going to happen. I mean, we're, we're actually leaning toward a toggle on the site saying, I'm a contractor or I'm a municipality, and we will send you down a flow depending on which you choose. Interesting. Yeah, no, that's... When you get to that point where you're optimizing that marketing channel, which doesn't sound like you, you need to at this point, you're still, you're still working on that product. And we've, we kind of talked about that in general. We're both kind of very deep on the product end, thinking a little bit about the marketing side, you know, especially with what I'm thinking about with Shopify, that that has implications for, for both the product and marketing. But right now it's just focus on the product, focus on the process of getting those, those customers in there and try to learn as much as possible and then turn on that marketing engine, you know, later on. Yeah, you mentioned the word inflection point before, and I think that would be a whole nother inflection point. You know, right now, at least in my business, I see us as, okay, we've been kind of slowly ramping up, slowly building out the product, having some customers that we're onboarding who, for all intents and purposes, are beta customers, uh, and we're going through that process. Our first inflection point that we really hit is now we're switching from just building a product to building a business. And we're hiring those people. We need all of the infrastructure that goes with helping make sure those people that we're bringing on are successful in their roles. And, you know, there's so many tools. There's so much internal knowledge sharing that needs to happen. We're we're not there yet, but this inflection point definitely feels real right now. And I think once we normalize a little bit and we stabilize, we're going to hit another inflection point. And that's going to be the okay, let's add some marketing to it and see what happens when we start putting people in the top of the funnel. But that's not there yet. I kind of want to go back a little bit to your thought process on the decision to start hiring. And and we still have two employees to talk about. You've only talked about one so far. I want to hear about the others. But I kind of want to go back to what that decision point was that you made that said, okay, now I know I'm going to add more people was it a was it a revenue number? Was it what what was that that made that that decision to move forward? I wish I could say it was a, a revenue number and I've mapped this whole thing out and we simply hit that point on the graph and so I pulled the pulled the lever and now we've got people and we'll keep going. But but no, it's really it was much more of a feeling, right? The product was at a point where we were 
stable but still have odds and ends to tie up and we have a bunch of feature backlog that we want to get through. I was clearly a bottleneck in terms of all the onboarding and all the questions these customers have. You know, I I literally couldn't get to them fast enough. And it's not a I think there's some things we can do to smooth out that process, but that involves building. Right now, it really is just an intensive process, and it's designed that way. There's no getting around it. So I saw myself as that bottleneck, and you know, I kind of woke up one day and said, okay, if we're going to grow and if we're going to take this to the next level, then the stakes are going to get higher. I don't know if you've heard that quote. There's a, I believe it's a Naval quote, but it's... Uh, Kind of the cow versus the lion. And I'm probably going to butcher this, but it'll still be applicable to the way I'm thinking of it. So what either he says or what Someone I said hear. It. Someone, <laughs> or you're making it up. It doesn't really matter, but we're going to go with it. We're, we're rolling with it. So so there's cows in the way they work. you know, And a cow is nice and slow and steady, just grazing all day long. And you know, for 14 hours a day is taking in some low-density food and... That's what they do day in and day in. A lion, on the other hand, is going to kind of rest and sit back, spends a lot of time sleeping. But when a lion springs into action, it is a ton faster. They're going after something that's, you know, more calorically dense, I guess, for the from a food analogy, and is going to have a bigger payoff for them. Then they can go back to sleeping. I don't think it's quite like that. Sleeping is the wrong word uh, mm-hmm. in a startup. You don't ever sleep. Well, you're always but, doing something. You know, I mean, even 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 right now, you're you're building. I'm constantly building. You're, you're doing something, even though it might not be hugely public. Exactly, you are doing something. But I also believe there's this. There's times. There's these inflection points that we've been talking about over and over, where you need to step on the gas. Things are going to get a bit frantic, a bit uncomfortable. In my case, the uncomfort or the discomfort comes from both the burn rate. I mean, going up tenfold in a day, you know, so all of a sudden we are burning real cash and that matters for a bootstrap business, as well as the fact that I recognize we are deficient in supporting the the new hires, but the new hires are necessary. So we're thinking about things like internal documentation. We're thinking about switching our support desk tools to something that works a little bit better. Even little things like upgrading our phones or coming up with a phone system so other people can take calls. All of this has to happen and it all has to happen at once while we continue to support the core growing and time intensive business the whole reason that we are scaling up right. uh, without letting balls drop. And and I can tell you some balls are dropping, but once we get through this inflection point and things kind of normalize again, once we can go from the hunting lion to the, the sleeping lion again, that'll be nice. I think we stabilize and then I'm sure it'll be time for another inflection point. Maybe that'll be marketing or maybe something else. Yeah, it kind of sounds like you decided the timing is right to basically put your chips on the table, not necessarily go all in, but definitely put some, put some down and just say, you know, we're going to, we're going to make a run at this and, and go bigger and not just be a, a one man show and, and, or two man, two man show and, and, and really kind of commit. And that's, that's great. That's exciting. Yeah, that, that is exactly where we were at and what we did. And time will tell if that was a good bet or a bad bet. <laughs> I, I think it's going to work out. 
And it seems like you're kind of at a similar point with some of your Shopify product stuff. It, it really is. I mean, it's I, I'm kind of taking a little bit of an opposite. So we, we definitely have some onboarding that needs to happen. That's kind of been the biggest learning that I've that I've noticed is especially compared to my previous SaaS company, which was basically you could see value within 15 minutes and start paying money very, very quickly. These merchants, it takes time to build up a text messaging program, especially one that sells product and kind of planning that out. And so it'll be five, six, eight weeks from point of first contact to paying customer. Now, I'm not necessarily involved with an onboarding process during that entire time, but it takes time for those merchants to kind of process, to commit, to get their plan to kind of onboard and, and roll that up and, and, and get going. So that's that's kind of interesting. Again, the parallels between the, the two businesses and the challenges that that has where it just, it's a longer lead time to get to, to that first first payment and what that, what, what that all implies, that you have to have support in place during that sales process, during that onboarding process to kind of support that customer or that merchant until they get to that point where they're, they're, they're comfortable just handling it on their own. Yeah. Are you, are you hitting any of those pain points yet? I mean, what does your inbound customer touches look like? It's pretty steady right now, or I, I can, I can handle it on my own. So I'm not terribly concerned, but honestly, like this last week, I would have loved, I love the idea of being able to not have to be at work and development stuff still happens, you know? So the idea of having a developer on the team or a marketing person on the team that can continually push that business forward and I don't have to be there, that's really appealing. But like you said, there's a ton of investment, not just money-wise that has to go into that of hiring people, but just the infrastructure and the time and, and the planning of onboarding people and having a system for them to, to work. And I just, I frankly just haven't put time and energy to that yet because I've been so focused on the product, but I see a point where, you know, that's one of the things, if I decide to go down this Shopify path, and if that knock on wood is successful, there's going to be a need very quickly. You know, I can maybe deal with one, maybe two merchants onboarding or sales process a week. But if that grows to five to 10, in a given week, I, I'm going to get, I'm going to get swamped very, very quickly. Can I make a recommendation? Sure. <laughs> Set aside an entire week before you bring on new folks and spend that week planning for how it's going to go and how you're going to onboard them. And maybe the way I three did at it one time. <laughs> You did three all in one day. Ah, three at one time is, is no problem. But the, the way I did it is not the way I would recommend. And there's going to be there's going to be some ongoing pain. We'll we'll check in next time and see where I'm at with it. But yeah, there are ways to do this more smoothly. Sure. Well, yeah, I'd love to hear about that. So so you mentioned you have three hires. We talked about one. Do you want to cover the other two really quickly and and just kind of go through what those positions are and what you envision for them? Yeah, let's let's briefly cover them and then we'll wrap up for the week. I guess we can't let ten days go by in a in a fast moving <laughs> world here. It's it's crazy. So much, How to, much talk we have to talk about. But yeah, the other two are both developers. So I think I've mentioned before. You know, I have my my lead developer Ryan, who's great but pretty time constrained. So we brought on two new developers to help support that. Both consider themselves full stack developers, but I think that one is going to be primarily working more back end, and the other more more React, more front end. So, you know, the main goal there is to get through some of those loose ends that I mentioned before so that we can move on to features that are very important to customers but didn't make the, the critical list. 
So we've got them. I still have one job opening out. So there, there hopefully will be a fourth next week, but that's going to be a much more part-time, much more autonomous role around uh, content and docs and okay. uh, technical writing. Got it. Got it. So you're, you're beefing up the developers and getting ready for new product stuff. And you're also alleviating the, the onboarding process, which sounds great. That's the goal anyway. Yeah, we'll, yeah. we'll see. Like I said, stay tuned for next week and we'll see how it goes. So w- what are you into this week, Sam? Yeah, stuff I'm into. So I recently picked up a new video game, Fallout 4 for the PS4. And for those of you that are looking that up, Yes, that was released in 2015. <laughs> so <laughs> you, can, <laughs> you can see my my video game habits are very ancient. And I it just shows how much time or how little time I have to devote to my old pastime of, of video games. So I played the, the previous Fallouts and loved them. So I just decided to pick this one up on a whim and been able to throw like, I don't know, 30 minutes at it. So it's just, but I love it. So it's, uh, it's just carving out that time, you know, middle of the night or whenever and getting, getting some me time in there. So it's, I'm enjoying it so far. Oh, fun. Yeah. I don't, I never been much of a gamer. Haven't had the time to get into it, but yeah, certainly played some mean Mario Kart back in there the day. There you go. And that's kind of where go. mine stops. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Chris? Yeah. Yeah. I discovered a new bike rack. Okay. Now, this sounds super silly, but we have a lot of bikes. We're, we're into biking, and so we have a lot of bikes in the garage. And they've all been on, you know, there's just little hooks with a screw on the end. Oh, yeah. Sort yeah. of rubber-coated hooks. Uh-huh. So we have a row of, like, I don't know, eight or ten bikes all on these hooks, and they all swing into each other. Or a kid will be moving a little too fast and hit one, and then they kind of domino because they can they can flop around a bit. Getting the wheel on was always a pain in the butt because you'd have to like lift up a heavy mountain bike and then adjust it so that the hook went perfectly between the spokes. So this was like always a pain. And I discovered this rack called the Steady Rack Bike Rack. It is obscenely expensive. So instead of $3 for a little rubber-coated right. hook... <laughs> they can get any hardware you know, store. Yeah, you're paying like... $90 or $80 trying to remember what they were each. And that's just so for that one hurts. bike per bike, right? That's for that's per bike. Wow. Okay. This is a little ridiculous, but they live up to the hype. If you have this problem that I have had for years, they are awesome. So they hold the bike by the front tire. They're all vertical. They can kind of move side to side and they're great. So steady rack bike rack. If you want to spend way too much money on a really well done product. Well, but that's the thing. If you, it, that kind of goes back to, if you can solve a pain point for someone, anyone, whether that's a, a business through software, through a physical product, like a bike rack, it doesn't matter what it costs. Because if, if that pain is big enough, someone's going to pay for it in order to solve that pain. So- Took years for the pain to build up to a boiling point for me. <laughs> there <but> you go. <laughs> finally, one day, you know, my wife had her bike leaning against the other bikes because she couldn't lift it up and get it on there. The kid knocked over half the bikes and it was like, can't, can't live like this anymore. <laughs> can't do it. You're done. <laughs> Take my money. Yeah. Solve this problem. <laughs> yeah. That's great. We had to That's... sell half the bikes to afford them. So maybe that helped too. Yeah, right? there you go. <laughs> so it's, it, it goes both ways, you know, <laughs> You cleared out some space. You got some new racks. It's all good. That's all good. That's great. Life is good. Life is good. All right, Sam. 
Well, fun catching up. Yeah, this was great. Until next time. Best of luck with those new hires. Can't wait to hear more about that. And uh, yeah, looking forward to talking to you again. Cheers. I'm going to get back to it. See ya. Sounds good. See ya.